Section 47 of From the Tower Window of My Bookhouse. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. From the Tower Window of My Bookhouse. Edited by Olive Beaupre Miller. The Homecoming of Ulysses. Retold from the Odyssey of Homer. I sing of Ulysses, the hero who in manhood's prime fared forth with all the mighty men of Greece to conquer Troy. Ten long years he spent in labor to reduce that little-to-be-honored city that harbored thieving Paris, and when that work was done, still ten years more must wander o'er the deep, laboring to bring his comrades safely home, and longing ever in his heart of hearts for his own fireside and Penelope, his dear beloved wife, and sweet Telemachus, his little son. Oft was he tempest-tossed and cast upon strange, savage shores where hideous monsters lurked, lured now by sweet-voiced sirens to destruction on the rocks, tempted now by eaters of that sleepy lotus-flower to waste his days in lazy, idle dreams. And when he had o'erpassed these dangers and temptations all, shipwrecked at last through disobedient folly of his men and born sole survivor of them all, clinging to a battered mast up on the shores of fair Calypso's isle. Now the bright-haired nymph Calypso found the storm-worn hero half-washed up upon the beach. She drew him into safety and led him to the grotto where she dwelt. A lovely spot it was, hid far within a depth of greenery where birds were ever singing. A vine with glistening leaves and clustering purple grapes crept all over the cliff without. About grew alders, poplars prim, and cypresses of resinous fragrance. Hard by, from out the rocks, four crystal-clear springs gushed sparkling forth, and everywhere about the meadows bloomed with fairest wildwood blossoms. Here in joy and plenty Calypso entertained Ulysses, and Ulysses was at first full grateful and content. But as the days passed by, within his heart awoke the longing to be once more on his way to Ithaca, Penelope, and home. Yet by this time Calypso of the amber hair had grown to love that wise, large-hearted hero, and had no mind ever to let him leave her more. So she sought to charm his fancy and lull him to forgetfulness of home, nor would she lend her aid to find him any boat or craft wherein he might once embark upon the deep. Then went Ulysses to the craggy rocks that edged the shore, and there sat sorrowing all alone, gazing with tear-wet eyes, far off across the sea, wishing for a well-oared galley to fly swift before the wind, longing, yearning to be home. And now for aught the bright-haired nymph might do she could not turn him from his purpose. While thus Ulysses yearned and sorrowed on Calypso's isle, in high Olympus met the gods who guide the affairs of men, and Pallas Athene, light of wisdom unto humankind, and ever protectress of the sage Ulysses, mindful of all the hero's woes, pleaded his cause to that high-thundering Jove, her father, ruler of storms and mighty king of heaven. And Father Jove, moved by her words, from his high throne of power, sent Hermes, his dear son and messenger of the gods to that fair nymph Calypso, to bid her, under pain of his severe displeasure, aid Ulysses in the building of a raft and leave him free to start once more upon his journey home. 
hastily hermes bound upon his feet his golden sandals that bore him over land and ocean like the wind and down he plunged unto the deep skimming its surface like a hovering sea-mew that often lightly dips her pinions in the brine but when he reached calypso's cave he found the nymph within a fire burned brightly on the hearth and far was wafted o'er the isle the fragrant smoke of cloven cedar burning in the flame and cypress wood meanwhile in her recess she sweetly sang as busily she threw the golden shuttle through the web she wove perceiving hermes coming calypso bade him welcome and placed him graciously upon the shining seat of state within her grotto then said hermes nymph jove bids thee send ulysses hence with speed for here he must not perish far from all he loves obey for well thou knowest neither god nor man hath power to withstand jove then with winged words calypso wailed her lot but since in truth none could withstand the purposes of jove at last she wielded up her will to his wise ordering and promised to obey she sought ulysses out and told him how she meant to give him means to build a raft with bread and wine and water to provision it that he might leave her happy isle if he so chose but ah she cautioned him if he knew but through what great dangers he must pass not all his longing for penelope and home would ever lead him forth to face them all but that great-hearted hero not for an instant to be turned aside from his firm purpose said let come what will i go for in my bosom dwells a mind patient of suffering much have i endured and much survived in tempests on the deep and in the battle let this happen too now when the child of dawn aurora rosy-fingered looked abroad ulysses donned his mantle and the nymph robed all in delicate silver white with a fair golden girdle at her waist and on her head a filmy veil made ready to aid the hero in his labors she gave him first an axe and adze and led him to that corner of the woods where grew the tallest trees twenty tall trees ulysses felled and squared their trunks and smoothed their sides and wrought them by the line then he fitted these together and made them fast with nails and clamps upon the massy beams he reared a deck and floored it with long planks on this he raised a mast and fitted to the mast a yard he shaped a rudder next and fenced the raft with woven work of willow boughs to guard her sides against the dashings of the sea then calypso brought him ropes and canvas wherewith he rigged a sail and thus his vessel all complete he launched her in the deep on the fifth day the nymph gave him to put on board a skin of dark red wine and one of water and a basket stored with choicest viands so ulysses bade her graciously farewell the nymph with amber hair and spread his canvas joyfully to catch the breeze for seventeen days he fared in safety on his craft till the phaeacian shores came full in sight where it had been foretold his sorrows should be ended but now great neptune ruler of the sea who held ulysses ever in enmity saw him at last about to escape the dangers of his realm and burning with fierce wrath he urged his coursers with fair flowing manes 
on through the deep to where ulysses stood he spake and round about him called the clouds and roused the ocean wielding in his hand the trident summoned all the hurricanes of all the winds and covered earth and sky at once with mists while from above the night fell suddenly from on high a huge and frightful billow broke whirling the raft around and washing ulysses from the deck a fierce rush of all the winds together snapped the mast in twain the yard and canvas flew far off into the deep the billow held the hero long beneath the waters but struggling through the waves at last he reached his battered craft and sprang once more on board as thus he clung in such a woeful case a delicate-footed nymph beheld him and filled with pity rose up from the deep perching on his raft in form a great white bird let go thy raft she cried cast thyself into the sea and swim for the phaeacian shore take this my veil bind it across thy breast and fear no danger when thou hast reached the land fling then my veil far out to sea the nymph thus speaking vanished and ulysses bound the veil about his breast obediently then plunged into the deep two days and nights among the stormy waves he floated but on the third day reached a rocky shore beetling on high with crags and walls of rock against this he had been crushed to death had not pallas athene ever informed his mind with wisdom how to save himself so he came at last upon a smooth and quiet shore within a little cove and crept up on the beach whence when he had regained his breath from that long struggle he flung the good nymph's veil as she had ordered far far out to sea then on a height above a little stream that poured its tranquil waters there into the mighty ocean he found a pleasant wood wherein he entered and heaping up a couch of leaves flung down his wearied limbs and slept now while ulysses thus found fitting rest pallas athene meaning that he should be found by those well able to save him appeared within the gorgeous chamber where slept nausicaa fair daughter of the large-souled king alcinous of phaeacia assuming the shape of one of this young virgin's maids ulysses fair protectress said nausicaa has then thy mother brought forth a careless housewife thy marriage day is not far off and yet the garments thou hast all prepared have not been washed to-morrow with the dawn let us make suit to thine illustrious father that he bid his mules and car be harnessed to convey thy girdles robes and mantles to the washing-place where we will wash them clean nausicaa thus prompted arose with the bright morning light and went to seek her parents she found her mother by the hearth turning her distaff missed her maids her father on the threshold going forth to meet his chiefs in council modestly the maiden proffered her request and soon obedient to the king's command servitors made ready in the outer court the strong-wheeled chariot and led the harnessed mules beneath the yoke into the polished car nausicaa and her maidens gaily piled the shining garments while the good queen mother filled a hamper full of pleasant meats and flavored morsels for the day's repast then nausicaa lightly climbed into the car seized the scourge and shining reins and urged the good mules forward while her maidens trooped with merry laughter round the wain now when they reached the river's pleasant brink where lavers had been hollowed out in which to do the washing they loosed the mules to browse upon the grass and took the garments out 
Flinging these into the water, they trampled them with hasty feet in frolic rivalry, as was the manner then of washing. And when the task was done, and all the garments cleansed, they spread them out along the beach to dry wherever the stream had washed the gravel cleanest. Then, in sportive mood, they bathed themselves within the river, splashing sparkling jets of spray into one another's faces, mischievous in mimic battle. Once more clothed in their light robes, they spread their noonday meal upon the grass beside the river's brink, and ate of it with buzz of busy conversation. When thus they were refreshed, mistress and maids cast their veils aside and all began to play at ball. Now here, now there, the little ball went flying through the air, while all those lithe and graceful figures leapt and swayed and bounded, twinkling in the light. At length, white-armed Nausicaa cast her ball at one of her handmaidens, but the ball missed of its aim, went far beyond the maid, and fell into the whirling eddy of the stream. Then all those pretty players shrieked aloud, and at that sound Ulysses was awakened from his sleep. Arising from his couch of leaves, he came forth from the thicket, and at unexpected sight of such a wild and uncouth stranger, the maidens fled, shrieking once again to right and left. White-armed Nausicaa only kept her place, for Pallas gave her courage. Then Ulysses came no nearer, lest he frighten her, but told her of his shipwreck and his woes, beseeching pity and begging that she give him some old robe wherein to wrap himself and lead him to the city. Much moved, Nausicaa bade her maids return, and said, This man comes to us, a wanderer and unhappy, and to him our cares are due. The stranger and the poor are sent by Jove, and slight regards to them are grateful. Then she bade the maids bring him a cloak and tunic, and a cruse of oil, and leave him there to cleanse and clothe himself. And when Ulysses had washed the salt spray of ocean from his back, anointed all his limbs with oil, and donned the garments she had given, he appeared of such a stately size and such majestic mien that fair Nausicaa knew his tale could be but true. She bade him follow her until they came nigh unto the town, and then, lest men should jeer at seeing him, a man amidst her crowd of maids, she bade him wait within a little poplar grove outside the walls till she should have a time to reach her home. Thereafter he should come alone unto her father's palace. Obedient to her wish, when she had mounted to her wain, that now was loaded with the good day's work, he followed with the maidens all on foot. But at the poplar grove he left the joyous crowd, nor took his own way forward till Nausicaa long had been at home, her mules unharnessed and her wain unladen. At the city gate, as he approached alone, Pallas Athene met Ulysses in the guise of a young maiden with an urn, and led him to the palace, casting over him a cloud of darkness, so that no rude dwellers in the city should do him any harm. Now the Phaeacians were expert with oar and sail, and loved not so much as masts and shrouds, and as he went his way Ulysses saw, wondering, the haven and the gallant ships, the market-place where heroes thronged the halls, long, lofty, and beset with palisades. So he arrived at last before the splendid palace of Alcinous, and that friendly veil of darkness sheltered him from curious eyes, 
until he came where sat the royal pair, Alcinous and his queen, and falling clasped the good queen's knees. Then only was the veil withdrawn and the great hero visible. He poured out once again all his sad tale. Oh, great Alcinous, he begged, send me once more to Ithaca, my home. A great-souled man, Alcinous was. He raised the hero, promised him protection, and seating him upon a silver-studded throne, saw to it that he was most honorably entertained, the while the queen, recognizing such garments as he wore, learned how he had come by them, and delighted in her daughter's goodness. At daybreak, King Alcinous led Ulysses to the marketplace beside the harbor filled with ships. Thither came, too, all the Phaeacian chiefs, and when Alcinous had made known to them how this nameless stranger sought their aid to take him to the home from which he had so long been absent, it was agreed that all should feast together in his honor that day. Whereafter, they would load the suppliant with gifts and in one of their own galleys send him home there followed then within the palace a splendid feast with singing of the blind demodocus bard of the silver tongue and feats of wrestling running discus throwing wherein ulysses much excelled and graceful dancing of the lithe-limbed youths when this was done the good phaeacians loaded down their guest with gifts he paid his grateful thanks unto nausicaa and the king and queen and was conveyed aboard a well-oared galley phaeacian rowers bore him on across the deep to ithaca and while he slept they set him and his treasure both on shore and left him in a sheltered bay without awaiting any thanks there when he awoke and found himself alone ulysses loudly wailed his lot not knowing that he stood on his own native soil but unto him appeared once more Pallas Athene. She told him that this spot was his beloved Ithaca, and promised to protect him still. For during those long years that he had been away, his true and faithful wife Penelope had been beset by insolent suitors who sought against her will to make her marry one of them, and while thus they willed, they filled the hero's palace hall with revelings, and lived in riotous extravagance upon Ulysses' beads and swine and wine, consuming all his substance in their sure belief that he, Ulysses, king of Ithaca, had long been dead and gone, and would never more return to punish them. Penelope the faithful sought to put them off and hold her own against them, for she sorrowed ever for Ulysses, and in her loyal heart she never yielded up the hope that her dear husband would one day come home. Her son Telemachus had grown to manhood, had gone forth into the world to seek some certain news of his beloved father, but the suitors hated him, the son, knowing full well how that he used his inheritance to keep his mother from yielding to their suit, and now they planned to lie in wait for him when he returned and slay him. All this all-knowing Pallas told Ulysses. In beggar's guise she bade, Thou shalt seek out thy faithful swineherd, and in his hut plan how to rid thyself of those proud suitors. She then transformed the hero to a squalid beggar, wrapped in rags, and having first assisted him to hide his treasure in a cave, she left him to go on his way alone. The faithful swineherd, though he did not recognize his master under this disguise, received the ragged stranger with a simple courtesy and kindliness, and served him with his best talking meanwhile of his great love for his departed master 
and complaining how the greed of those insistent suitors was depleting all Ulysses' flocks and herds. While thus Ulysses spent the night with his old servant, Pallas appeared unto Telemachus, where he slept in Sparta, on his voyage seeking news, and in his heart awakened the desire for home, warning him of the suitor's plan to slay him, and instructing him how he might save himself. With the morning, Telemachus embarked at once and sailed for Ithaca, descending from his boat, as Pallas bade, near to the swineherd's hut, and sending on his galley, lacking him for whom the suitor lay in wait, so that their ambush would prove vain. At early dawn Ulysses and the swineherd were preparing food for breakfast, when Ulysses saw a youth approach the lodge, on whom the fierce dogs, wont to bark at strangers, fawned affectionately. As he came within the hut, the swineherd greeted him full lovingly as his young master, good Telemachus, and begged that he would occupy the place of honor at his table. But this Telemachus most modestly declined in favor of the aged stranger, to whom, in spite of his poor rags, he showed much honor, promising him protection and whole clothes as soon as he should be the master in his house. Then Telemachus bade the swineherd go in secret to his mother Penelope, and tell her of his safe arrival home. No sooner was the old man gone than Pallas, appearing unto Ulysses where he walked alone outside the swineherd's lodge, transformed him once again into his own radiant self in fitting garments. Disclose now thy true identity unto thy son, she said, and plan with him bright means for dealing with these insolent suitors. Thus advised, Ulysses told Telemachus that he was none but that great sufferer, his long-lost father, and that the youth, impetuous, threw his arms about him, shedding tears of joy, the while Ulysses kissed his son, and from his eyelids too, though long strained, the tears fell to earth. Their first transports of joy at this reunion passed. Ulysses bade his son go to the palace and there await the arrival of his father. Later in the day, Ulysses once more, the sordid beggar, unrecognized by all, was led by that true faithful swineherd to the palace and there arrived just as the suitors wanted revels reached their height filling all the court with noise and song alone he stood before the walls that once had owned him master and while enemies made joy about his board none knew him ulysses none there was to care for him of all those whom he once had so benignly ruled none save his old hunting dog cast out now as grown old and useless on the dust-heap. That tried and trusty friend knew his dear master, spite of all disguise, crept up and greeted him with one last flicker of joy and then fell lifeless to the earth. An unseen tear Ulysses dropped on the dear head of that one friend, then entered into the palace. When he stood within the doors of that vast hall, filled full of enemies, Ulysses humbly bowed his head and made the round of all the suitors, begging aid of each to try his spirit. None there received him kindly, save Telemachus. The suitors, each more insolent than the other, heaped insult upon insult on his head, and one, Antinous, flung a footstool at him. So angered was Penelope by this act that she herself came down to make apology to the stranger, and courteously inquire if he by chance had heard all of Ulysses. Ah, to Ulysses, how dear was that first sight of his beloved wife! How like sweet music fell her voice upon his ear, albeit like the rest, 
she knew him not, save for her and Telemachus, and one old faithful nurse who pieced through the disguise. Ulysses met that night with naught but great discourtesy in his own house, where those proud suitors swarming like an army invaded all the place. Yet in despite of all their swarming, Ulysses and Telemachus found means in secret to remove all weapons from the hall where they held sway. On the morrow, Pallas awoke in the mind of sage Penelope, the design to bid her suitors contend for her by means of that gigantic bow that once had been Ulysses, aiming to shoot an arrow through twelve rings. He who should perform that feat should have her for his bride. To this proposal the suitors eagerly agreed. Thus, armed with that great weapon, Penelope appeared within the banquet hall, followed by handmaidens bearing string and arrows. First, Antinous strove to string the bow, in vain. He could not even so much as bend it. Then followed another suitor at the trial, and still another. Not one among them all could bend it. While thus they tried, Ulysses told the astonished swineherd who he was, and having laid his plans with care, when all his enemies had failed to span the bow, he himself stepped boldly forward, offering to perform the feat. What laughter, jibes, and ridicule met such an offer from a ragged beggar! But Ulysses seized the weapon, spanned it on the instant, and sent his first shaft through the rings all twelve. At that a silence fell upon the multitude who looked on thunderstruck. Turning his weapon full upon his insolent foes, Ulysses grimly said that his next arrow had another goal, and through the heart he shot the false Antinous, in the very act to lift aloft a splendid two-eared goblet full of good Ulysses' wine. Then followed what a conflict, but ah, the suitors heedless of aught, but reveling had neglected to provide themselves with weapons. Telemachus sprang to his father's side. The doors were shut and guarded close by that good swineherd, so none might escape, and thus returning day saw not a single one of those thieving revellers left, leech-like to suck his substance from Ulysses. That self-same night the good old nurse, who only among all the servitors had recognized Ulysses, announced the news of the great hero's safe return unto his glad retainers and Penelope, the faithful, Ulysses home again. Such news to that long-awaiting wife could scarce be credited, and going down to meet the stranger still in beggarly attire, she could not well believe that here her husband stood once more. Ulysses then, longing for sweet dawn of recognition in her eyes, proposed that all should purify themselves and sit to feast together. The while he cleansed and clothed himself, Pallas Athene once more returned him to his own fair form, and when Penelope beheld him thus, she fell upon his neck in deepest joy, and he, so long, lone wanderer o'er the earth, wept grateful tears, as in his arms once more he held his dearly loved and faithful wife. And thus Ulysses came into his own again, to rule his people with the same benignity and wisdom that was there before, or ever he left the Ithacan shore to humble distant Troy. End of section 47